Um, just the vision we have is uh, that my wife will actually look to running in the parliamentary elections in Tonga uh, next year. So just part of the heart we have as a couple for what God is wanting to do in that nation. Um, so I'm on uh, an associate pastor at Equippers Church in Auckland. Uh, we have Equippers in Tonga, and my brother-in-law is the pastor of that church. And so we're really excited about what that holds for us in the next season of our lives. Um, yeah, and as uh, Sarah mentioned, I've, I've been an associate pastor at Equippers since about 1989, 1990, uh, so a very long time, and I'm loving being part of a church that is now being led by a couple who weren't a couple when we first met them. They were 14 and 15-year-olds in the youth group. So Pastor Sam and Kathy, the senior pastors at Equippers in Auckland. So uh, it is amazing for us to be on a journey of seeing the power of generations declaring God's goodness one to another. Uh, and I, and I want to commend that to you because, uh, as I shared with the leaders yesterday, you don't experience that accidentally. How many people know that every family has its issues? Church is a family. Sadly, what happens often is when we have issues in the family of God, we throw our toys out of the cot and we leave. And that means we break that generational opportunity to pass things on. And so that's why, sadly, a lot of our churches, particularly in Australia and New Zealand, they, every generation has to go back and start again, to start again. But the church needs that, you know, we need to be reaching out to the, to the up-and-coming generation, but the church needs gray hair, or in my case, no hair. It needs mums and dads in the faith. It needs grandparents in the faith. It needs that ability to have children growing up into young people who are looking at the next generation and older to say, oh, that's what it looks like to do the journey of faith. That's what it looks like to do anger, disagreement, sorting things out. That's what it looks like. If we just run from every issue that comes up relationally in the house, then we'll never grow and we never provide an illustration to our children of what it looks like to walk through and work through issues. So I just want to commend you. I, I, my wife and I were here about three years ago. We did ran a Mind Your Marriage course, and it, it's just so neat to be back and to see so many people still here and still actively involved. But I, I want to commend you. Don't, never, never divorce the family of God. Just, just don't. And, and, you know, I know sometimes circumstances change and we move to another church. That's, I understand that. But, man, if we, if we leave a church because of offense... How we leave is how we arrive. We go to the next place and we take all that pain with us. And at the beginning, it's all nice because it's all fresh and new. And there, yeah, but, but in the end, wherever you go, there you are. You take you with you. So, you know, if you're going to change church and you're offended, before you leave, sort out the offense. And then either you won't leave or you'll leave in a good space. Either way, you'll be a blessing to the people you're leaving and the people that you're going to next. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but I just felt to. It's, it's, it's a blessing to be a part of a generational church and understanding that, hey, we're not perfect. The church isn't perfect, surprise, because you're in it and I'm in it. God knows that and he loves it. It calls the church his bride. So let's not bag her, let's not diss her. Let's not think that we can fall in love with God but hate his fiancée. 
because he doesn't see it like that. He knows his bride, the church, isn't perfect, but he's still coming back for her. And in the same way that if, when I was engaged to my wife, if I had a friend that came and said to me, Mark, I really love you, really value, really value our friendship, but can't stand your fiancé. How many people know that our friendship is over? And yet so often we bag God's fiancé and still assume that we can have an intimate relationship with him. So let's love him and let's love what he loves, one another. Cool. Um, I, uh, I have what I consider to be a quite an interesting life. Um, I enjoy it. Uh, it's not always like I expected, but hey, that's what makes it exciting. Um, so yeah, my, my wife is in Tonga, um, and we're on that journey. Uh, I've got a son, Keenan, who's uh, volunteering in the, at Equippers in Auckland. He's involved in running all the social media at church, and he's also uh, just spearheaded the recording of um, our next album. Uh, so... It's an album called Hands High, and uh, it's just been great to see the, what's happening in, in the release of music. So he's full on with that, so I think he's actually just arrived back in Auckland today from touring, uh, doing a youth program in the South Island of New Zealand. So that's just a bit about me, and yeah, I'm a pastor, I've been a principal of our Equippers Bible College on two occasions, um, so teaching is my passion, um, and I, I'd like it not to be boring, and uh, so that's, that's something I'm passionate about, and as Sarah said, the last 10 years, I've worked within an arm, an outreach of our church, uh, working in the youth prison in Auckland uh, as, as a teacher, and uh, I've also just finished a master's, a research master's in, at Auckland University, looking at young people who are in the justice system who don't understand language enough to engage with that justice system. So that's what has brought me to Sydney for the conference coming up this week. So this morning, what I'd like to do is, um, I'd like to just sort of introduce what I want to talk about. Um, when I put those words up on the screen, um, I'm not actually talking about barbecuing steak, uh, because as you can probably appreciate, you can have steak done. I don't know why people ever have well done steak. I'm sorry, if you do, if you have well done steak, that is, that is Old Testament. That is a burnt offering. If it's not mooing, it's not edible. But I, actually, I don't want to talk about steak. I want to talk about these terms in the way that they relate to love. So you maybe are familiar with the phrase tough love, that, that sense where sometimes in order to display love, it needs to be firm and it needs to be tough. Sometimes we mix up with that phrase. We think if we're battling, you know, thinking we're working with things with our children or with teenagers, that if I'm, if I'm going to be tough, then I'll isolate them and yet, there's, there's, a, there's an irony in love that when we truly love, we will put boundaries around those things that we love to protect them. It may not always be appreciated, but that's the motivation of our heart. And it's the same in the love that God has for us. There, are, there is a, an element to which God brings boundaries to bear. That's why we have them. That's why he's, not because he's a killjoy, but because out of his love, he wants to see us protected. But there's also a very tender side to the love of God. That God is, is, has a tenderness toward his people. And it's that aspect of love that I want to talk a bit about this morning. But actually I don't want to talk about it in regard to God's love for us. I want to just explore a scripture passage from the New Testament around 
the tenderness of love that I believe we are called on to express in our love for one another. So with that in mind, I want to just provoke us to think about who we are. And when I say we, I mean those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you important? Not sure. Are you valuable to God? Yes, of course you are. Are you, are you unique? Yes, you are. Are you special? I love that phrase. In our family, we have a little running joke that our son, when he was at high school, he went to a Catholic high school, and uh, he's, he's a great kid. He's actually very bright, but he was going through a period where things weren't going so well at high school, and he was creating a bit of a problem in the class. And so the teacher called him out, told him to stand up, and he said to him, Kenan, why are you behaving like this? Do you think you're special? And Keenan, much to our embarrassment, said to the teacher, Oh, well, sir, my mum says I'm special. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> yeah, yeah, Keenan, you know, sometimes you can say things that are true, but it's just not the right time. <laughs> but see, here's the thing you are special, you are unique. Just like everybody else. And very often, I've, I believe, in, in our approach to God and our thinking about our following Jesus, while it's important that we make our individual decision to become a follower of Jesus, it's actually really important to understand that biblically, it's not just about me. And this, I believe, is what causes a lot of problems for us as individuals and also for us as churches, that we fail to discern the reality of what we've now joined in with. You see, when we become a follower of Jesus, we're not now a whole lot of individual followers of Jesus. No, the Bible's full of illustrations that actually we are not now just about, it's not now just about me, it's actually about we. It's actually incredibly important. For example, one of the pictures that the New Testament uses of the church is that we are the body of Christ. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And when he's using the word body, it's not like a body corporate, like an organization. It's literally like a human body. So the body of Jesus now in the earth is, is what? Is who? It's us. It's the church. And Paul uses the description. He, he likens like, you know, when you have a human body, you have parts that all have their own function. And the fact that they all do something unique is important. But the body is only effective in the fact that it's all joined together. If I amputate my hand, it's no longer effective. It can be lying on the floor, but it's disjointed, and now I've lost the ability to do as much as I could do in the rest of my body. And it's the same picture that we have, that we all are like different parts of the body of Christ. And just as each part of your body is important, so each of us is, but not in terms of just our individual capability, but in the fact of our connection to one another and our connection to Him. So we is actually more important than the me. And I'm not saying, you know, sometimes even in our Western thinking, that's, oh, no, 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 no come on. It's, it's the truth. 
And there is so much more to be gained by perceiving and discerning that I am now part of something bigger than just myself. It's a release. It's a joy. It brings excitement. I look at my own life, my own life journey. I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be doing the things that I was doing if it wasn't for the body of Christ. I am not a legend in my own lunchbox. I'm not really that good. But what I find is through my connection relationally to Christ and to his body, then I am in an environment, I'm in a community, I'm a part of a, of a connective relational body that, that enables me to do things that I could never do on my own. And this is incredibly important because we are it. Like I said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the body of Christ is the church, is us. What does that mean? How does Jesus do things on the earth now? I know that even for me growing up as a young Christian, I kind of thought, well, God does things. Just like, let's pray. God, just do things. Just move. Move on these non-Christians. Move by, you know, move by your Holy Spirit. And, and what I noticed in my praying was, was kind of like I had this idea that God's going to do something sort of out there with the force in this amazing way. If, I just, if we just pray hard enough, he's going he's to do, do. And yet at the same time, 1 Corinthians 12 says we are it. We are the body of Christ. And I, and I started to think, oh my gosh, I, I know I'm not God, but if I was God, I don't know that I would do it that way. I mean, it seems entirely unreliable to entrust the whole future of the plans and purposes of God on the earth to you and me. I mean, that's risky. There is no plan B, people. There's nobody in the wings. Well, if the church doesn't get it right, then this is it. We are it. The church is the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23, in the message paraphrase, he put, um, uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. It's not like the church is on the edge. No, 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 no. The world is peripheral to the church. And already that challenges us. Because if we're honest, some of us have church as another activity in the many activities that we do in our life. We have our work life, we have our leisure life, we have our family, and we have church. But no, 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 the scripture, the, the paraphrase is saying, no, no, it's not like that. The church is at the center, and everything else of the world is on the periphery. Why? Because the church, you see, is Christ's body through which he speaks. Oh. Already that's challenging. That God speaks through his body, through the church. And already I start to think, well, what's the voice that is being heard? What are we saying? The church, you see, is the body of Christ through which he speaks and through which he acts and through which he fills the earth with his presence. Oh, but surely he fills the world with his presence, the presence of his Holy Spirit. Yes, he does, but where is his Holy Spirit? Sometimes we have Old Testament theology. We think the Holy Spirit is out there somewhere and we're waiting for him to come down. But since Acts 2, 
Where has the Holy Spirit chosen to reside? In the heart of every believer. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were immersed. They were overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And that's the experience that we are called to live out. So when we're praying for God to do things, all of a sudden it begins to challenge us when we realize that it's hard. We can't pray to God to do something out there devoid of us because we are the body of Christ. So if we're praying for Him to do it, then guess what? It's time to be available to be used by Him to do what it is that we're praying for. That's why we is so important to understand. You are important, but so is your connection both to God and to one another. And I'll just say it in passing because it's written in 1 John. John says, how can we say that we love God who we haven't seen if we cannot love our brother whom we have seen? Sometimes we think we can separate our love for God and our love for other people, but they are one and the same. How do I love God? I love God by loving what He loves, by loving him, His people. When Jesus was challenged, what is the most important commandment? He said, well, it's this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is the same. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Paul writes in Romans 13 that all of the laws are summed up in that command because love fulfills the law. So love is, is key. Love is not an option. And when it comes to loving one another, it's incredibly important because our love for one another through our love for Christ is what holds the body of God together. Ephesians 4 describes it this way, that the body, the church will grow by what every joint supplies, what every link, what every relationship supplies. So in our relationship with one another, the body of Christ gets stronger. So now all of a sudden we see there's a context, there's a reason why it's important not to let issues go under the carpet. It's important not to hold offenses. It's important not to throw our toys out of the cot and get annoyed with one another and run. Because the enemy knows that the effectiveness of the body of Christ on the earth is directly linked to the ability we have as individuals to deal with our issues between one another. Psalm 133. Behold, how absolutely revolutionary and out of this world... Sorry, that's my paraphrase. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters deal with their stuff and dwell in unity. That's a little bit of a mark paraphrase there. So you are important, but you're important because we are important. Can you just give us a little uh, pick up to the next one? Cheers. So, how will the people of Aladala? How will the people of Mollymook, how will the people of Milton, how will the people of Nowra, how will the people of this whole region know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Because you've got incredible doctrine, because you believe the right stuff, because you march about it, because you run amazing programs, because you've got awesome events that are happening, because you've got an amazing outreach. They're all good. But Jesus gave a very clear reason as to how people will know that you follow Jesus Christ. 
by the love that we have for each other. And you know, it's interesting when Jesus said that in John chapter 13. He's gathering together for what was going to be the last meal that he would share with his followers. And in the process of this meal, he starts to get overwhelmed and he stands up in the middle of the meal and he says to his followers, one of you is going to betray me. Now you can imagine, is Jesus tight 12 and they're sharing a meal together? What a killer, what a buzz killer. One of you is going to betray me. Do you know what it says? They, they're reclining because the, you know, this was kind of like, the culture of the day, you didn't sit up at the table. You, they were low tables and they had cushions around them and that's how you ate. You sort of lay and you reclined. I mean, teenagers would have loved it. It's, that's the way to eat. And, and so they're reclining and they're reclining. What's happened is John is lying back and he's got his head resting on Jesus' chest. And so Peter gets John's attention and says, John, John, ask him who it is. So John looks up at Jesus and says, which one of us is going to betray you? Jesus says, the one that I give the bread to. I don't know, there's a side of me now that goes like, everyone's like, nah, 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 nah. (laughs) So he gives the bread to Judas. And he says to him, what you've decided to do, do it quickly. Judas leaves the room. Can you imagine what the room feels like now? And then Jesus continues to speak, and in the next part of what he shares, this is what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. On the back of his betrayal, he turns to his disciples and says, the most important thing is that you love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. For Jesus to say that on the back of his betrayal, He's been betrayed by one who has walked with him, who has been with him, who has followed him, has now betrayed him. And then the next words that come out of his mouth is about love. Man, when we've got an issue with other people and we've wanted to run, what's our excuse? When Jesus himself, on the back of betrayal, is still talking about the importance of having love for one another. So how will people know that you follow Jesus? The love you have for each other. See, all of a sudden, it kind of gives a whole new leaning to our fellowship. See, fellowship in the church, really, it's not meant to be an activity, a task, another thing in the diary. Oh, I'll fit it in if I can. That's way more important than that. Read about the early church on the day of Pentecost at the end of Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. 
they were fellowship junkies that had this empowering presence of the Spirit of God turn up, and, and they were beginning to enjoy this, but they enjoyed one another's company. They gathered together in one another's homes. They broke bread together. This is not, oh, let's have another program. No, they were just doing life because they liked it. They would have meals together. They'd have coffee together. They actually genuinely enjoyed hanging out with one another. There's a radical thought. I can't come to small group this week. Yeah, and and I know there are, but it's a sense of where is the priority of relationship with one another? Do you know what it says at the end of Acts 2.47? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think what's going on is just like, I mean, you know, it's great people get saved on a Sunday, but people were getting saved all the time. Why? Because they were seeing demonstrated a way of living and a way of doing community and a way of being loved. You read on in Acts, it got really radical. People who had land sold the land, gave the money to the apostles, who then would work out that there were people in the fellowship who were in debt, who needed release, and they would give them money and they would get out of debt. Can you imagine? So how are you guys going, oh man, it's amazing. You know how we've been in debt for so long? Yeah. Well, we're debt free now. What? Yeah, we're debt free. What happened? Well, this is the amazing thing. You know, we've been a part of this um, fellowship and uh, some people sold some land, they gave the money, and the, and the leaders decided we needed to get released from, from debt. And so they gave us money, and, and now we're debt-free. Oh, can I join that fellowship? <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to join a party like that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that sort of community? But you see, you don't get that if you're getting offended and betraying and leaving the room. You don't enjoy that if you're not able to work through the pains of relationship in order to preserve the unity of the Spirit. You'll never see that. They'll know that you love Jesus by the love that you have for one another. Oh, absolutely. Do our programs. Do our music. Do everything. But what's the most important thing? See, if the programs are awesome, but when they come into the house, we're all fractured and we don't like one another and we don't come regularly. It's like, oh, right, tell me more about this faith. (laughs) But if they come into warmth and genuineness and say, oh, my gosh. Do you know the church is the most redemptive and restorative environment that people can come into? Broken people. I don't know what the situation is in Australia. I guess it's probably similar to us. But one thing that people have missed out on a heck of a lot in the last two generations in New Zealand is dads. Dads are absent. Or dads are present, but they're absent emotionally. Or dads are present and they're abusive. So we've got a whole generation. And now we've got, now we've got kids and, and now we've got guys growing up who've never known what it is to, to know a great relationship with a dad and they've got a distorted view of what life is all about. And now they're having kids and all they're doing is reproducing what they've known. Wouldn't it be good to be able to come into a family where no matter what distorted views you've grown up with, you can actually start to see good things modeled? 
to have dad figures in the church come around you and encourage you, to have older brothers and sisters in the faith and, and be able to come into a family where you're, oh man, is that what it's like? Is that what it could be like? I, I, I know there's a place for counseling, absolutely. But there's also a place for coming into a redemptive, restorative, good family where we're not perfect, but where we're on a journey where we're wanting to see one another grow and be healed. Wouldn't it be great to... See, we are it. We are it. How will they know? And let me just... Now, I just want to take this a little further. What is a uniform? A uniform is a way of dressing that means that you're readily identifiable. School uniforms, police uniforms. I mean, there's a sense where people dressing the same, people used to say, oh, how come schools have uniforms? The cynical view is that so when kids are out of school and are getting into trouble, it's easy to pick up what school they're from to be able to follow them up. But there's also meant to be a sense of, well, I'm wearing a uniform and I'm wearing that uniform with pride because I, this is my school. What's the importance of a police uniform? Well, it's to mark the distinctive. I mean, if anybody, if I went out in the middle of the highway and stood up there and put my hand up, I'm probably going to get run over. But if I had the uniform, then it marks the authority that I carry. Now, I have a number of friends who are policemen, and, and I've asked them this, and they've verified it's true, that not every morning when they wake up and put on the uniform do they feel like they've got authority. But the truth they tell me is that they don't have authority because they woke up and felt like it. They have authority because they have been warranted. That is, they've been sworn, they've been given a badge, and they've been told, you now have authority. How do they have authority? Because they feel like it? No, they have authority because of their relationship to the government. So they carry that authority. So when they dress in the uniform, it doesn't really matter how they feel. All they're doing is displaying the authority they actually have. Some days they feel like they've got it. Other times they don't, but it's irrelevant. They still have it. You know, it's the same with you and I. In Christ, we have a uniform. I'm going to talk a bit about that in a few minutes. It's got many aspects to it, but the overriding aspect of the uniform that we wear every day is love. You put on a uniform. And, and let me just say, there's a difference between a uniform and a costume. What's a costume? A costume is something you dress up in to pretend to be somebody that you're not. And in, the risk is, and what I'm going to share in the next few minutes, you're going to read this like, oh, yeah, but I'd just be pretending. No, 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 no. We're not talking about a costume. We're not caught talking about dressing up, and we're not talking about playing a role like in a play. We're talking about the uniform that is the distinctive, that marks you out as belonging to this group called the church. And it's really got nothing to do with how you feel. In my work with young people who commit offenses, um, I've worked with some very broken young people. I've worked with some people charged with incredibly serious offenses, as serious as they could get. One of the things that really intrigues me is that when I'm working with them and talking with them one-on-one, -on -one, some of them, I think, you know what, unless I knew, I would never have picked that you had committed the offense that you've been charged with. 
Sometimes that is such a clear demarcation. I, in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, I wonder which is the real them. The one who was committing the offense that they've been charged with or the person that I'm now talking to in this context one-on-one? Yeah, that's an important question. Because sometimes we look at our own lives, we look at the things that we've done, we look at the things that we struggle with, and, and we're not really quite sure who is the real me. And if we're not careful, we begin to believe the lie that we think because we struggle with something, therefore that defines who I am. Can I say to you, whatever your situation is here this morning, you are not defined by your problems. The enemy wants you to be defined by them. I was sharing with the leaders yesterday when I started working in juvenile justice. One day I was telling somebody what I did. I said I worked with young offenders, and in my head God said to me, no, you don't. And in my head I said, I think I do. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, okay, who do I work with? And he said, you work with young people who have offended. I said, it's the same thing. And he said, no, it's not. I said, what's the difference? He said, when you call them a young offender, you're using something that describes something they did to define who they are. Young offender. I realized even the young people themselves do that. Oh, I'm a crim. I now am identified by what I did. But he said, when you call them a young person who's committed offenses, you're identifying who they are, a young person, and not allowing the description of what they've done to define who they are. And I realized I fall into that same trap in my own narrative, in my own head about myself. Oh, man, I'm so stupid. Why am I doing Why do I, man, see, this always happens. I, and, and I look at my life and my struggles, my and I realize the internal narrative is often the lie. I'm actually defining myself by the things that I'm struggling with. I think maybe you do too sometimes. And that's really really dangerous because it'll not only stifle the life in you, but it will stifle your ability to relate to others. Come on, you know how it is. When we feel stink about ourselves, it's really hard to be open to other people. We get fearful. Oh my gosh, if they really knew what I was going through. If they really knew what I was like, if they really knew what I did, then they wouldn't want to have a relationship with me. So we put on masks, we put on costumes, we dress up. Hi, everything is fine. No, 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 don't, no, no, don't, don't look too closely. Don't get too close. So we have pseudo communities. We have pseudo relationship. We pretend. We play roles. We dress up in costume, and we play out the play called church, and then wonder why it's not as genuine as it seems to read about in the Bible. So in the end, there's a connection between my willingness to be open with God and allow Him to touch the dark spaces of my heart and my ability to connect and relate with you. Jesus put it this way, love your neighbor as yourself. I believe what he actually intends, intends through that is in the end, we will love our neighbors as we love ourselves. If I don't love myself, I will not truly love you because it's impossible for me to give to you what I will not give to myself. So if I will guard and hide and, and not address stuff in my life, ultimately it's going to affect our fellowship. Do your neighbor a favor. Let God touch the areas in your heart that he wants to heal.
which is the real me. So, what to wear? Hmm? I'm so glad when you got up this morning that you didn't wake up and think, mm, how do I feel? I don't feel like getting dressed today. I think I'll go naked. I'm really glad that you didn't worry about how you felt. Trust me, I bet you too are glad. See, when we get up in the morning, we don't usually, oh, do I, is this a naked day or a dressing day? We don't worry about how we feel. We get dressed. Why? Well, it's what you do. It's got nothing to do with how you feel. Do you know that in the Bible, Paul writes exactly the same way about how we are to dress, what is the uniform that we are to put on as followers of Christ. And when I say put on, I'm not talking about put on like a play, like a costume, like an act. I'm talking about the act of getting dressed in the same way that you got up this morning, you did not sit and have a five-minute prayer about, shall I get dressed today? You just did it. Some of you took a long time to do it because you said, I've got nothing to wear. But you got dressed. You took off whatever you had on, and you put on what you've got on now, you looked in the mirror, checked it, changed it, I don't know, and left. Remember, we're talking about a uniform, not a costume. So let's have a look at what Paul writes to the church at a little place called Colossae. If you want to read it, it's in Colossians chapter 3, picking up at verse 9. Here's how he starts. For you, talking to the church... You have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Let's just think about that for a moment. Let's suggest or assume that you are following Jesus. The things that were a part of your old way of living and which you may still battle with now what is Paul encouraging us to do in the way that we think about them? Think about them now as that is something that I'm take, I've taken off and I've left behind. And immediately your mind is going, yeah, but I still struggle with it. What's the answer? Well, the answer in this context is really simple. Just keep telling yourself, you know, I've, no, I've taken that off. I've taken that off. I'm not, I don't wear that. That is so last season. That is so last year. I am not wearing, sorry, I'm not Pacey. I'm, I'm not wearing that wickedness anymore. I'm, I've actually taken it off. That's what happened when I chose to become a Jesus follower. When I invited God into that space in my heart and gave myself to him, it meant I undressed, I stripped off, I took off. I don't wear that anymore. But you know how it is, eh? <laughs> how many wives here have been telling your husbands, get rid of that shirt? Oh, look, I, I, know, I know this because this is what has happened in our household, but I also know I've got friends that happens in their household too. The wife goes through and has a clean-out, checks out the favorite T-shirt. So what does the husband do? Pops downstairs to the rubbish bag and picks it up out, pops it away in the drawer again to wear it another day. And the next time the wife sees it, says, I chucked that out. Yeah, but I really like it. Look, it's, no, it's not good. It doesn't look good on you. It's no, just, no, 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 I like it, I like it. Do you know, that's exactly what happens sometimes in our Christian faith. 
the Holy Spirit is coming along and he's going through the drawer of our life. And he's saying, you know what? Don't wear that again. But we kind of like it. So we creep downstairs to God's rubbish bag and we rifle through when we pull it out and we think we're getting away with it because we secretly come up and put it back in the drawer. Yeah, just wear that another day. And God calls us out. Um, <clears throat> is there anything in the drawer of your life that I took out? Maybe. Why do you want to wear that again? Oh, I don't know. It's kind of comfortable. I kind of like how it feels. Kind of familiar. God says, come on. Take it off. Get rid of it. I want to dress you differently. You see, when it comes back to and the importance of the body of Christ, you think of a, if there's a whole lot of us, that's how we're living. We're constantly going back and putting on the things that we've been encouraged to take off. So Paul says, you've stripped off your old sinful nature. Think about it like that. It's like my old, and all those things, I've actually taken them off. And again, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking like I think. Yeah, is it that simple? Well, you know, when you get undressed, it's that simple. And what Paul's inviting us to understand is the truth of the freedom of Christ that we now have is it is literally that if you don't believe it's possible, then it's going to make it harder. One translation of Proverbs 23 verse 7 is, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think you can't take it off, then guess what? You won't be able to. Think you can, think you can't, either way you'll be right. That's the power of the mind. And I'm not talking some hocus pocus. That's how we've been created in the image of God. We have the ability to imagine things that haven't yet happened and meditate upon them until they actually come to pass. That's the heart of creativity. So Paul is inviting us to line up our thinking with the truth of who we are, not how we feel. We've stripped off the old nature with its wicked deeds, and now, but you don't just go around naked. No, now you put on or literally sink into your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator, that you're in His image and becoming like Him. So it's taking off, and I've put on this new nature. How many people... say how many women just simply because I know the journey with my wife but how many people you wear something new maybe to church and you're really hoping that people notice oh you never admit that but you love it like I know you know times we get in the car and and I said did anyone comment on your chat oh yes that's awesome why do you like that? Because you've put effort into putting on something new and you've walked in and, and you're not like, walking around going, mm, but you are kind of hoping people notice. And when people do, it's kind of encouraging, isn't it? And all the men said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's because you keep going back to that old shirt. But wow, you look awesome. That's awesome. Where did you get that? Oh, this old thing. So when you put on something new, 
It shows. And sometimes we're trying to work our way through it, and we're trying to wait till we feel like it. Paul says, no, 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 just strip off the old nature. Consider it gone. It's a great place to start. Oh, there'll still be processes, absolutely. But just consider, and I put on this new nature. And what is this new nature is? That I'm renewed as I'm, I'm, I'm actually, wow, this is the new, I'm made in the image, in the likeness of God. Do you feel like it? No, not necessarily. Man, I bet if we took a survey and said, how many times in the last week did you feel like, wow, I am in the image of God? Hmm. But it's irrelevant. How you feel is irrelevant because the truth is that's who you are. And so what God is inviting you to do is believe the truth of how things really are and to see yourself as being dressed in that new nature, becoming more like the one in whose image you're created. Let me just say a little aside. This is kind of an extra for free, nothing to do with. But you know when, you know when the, there's these guys trying to test Jesus and they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to the Romans? So, you know, the Romans are the occupying force and, you know, should the Jews as the people who are under oppression be paying taxes to the oppressors? And so they're trying to trick him. Should we pay taxes to the Romans? And what does Jesus say? One translation says it this way. He says, show me the money. So somebody pulls out a coin. Now, it's the same on our coins today. One side, there is a, a picture that indicates the number of the value of the coin. What's on the other side? The monarch. Yeah. So it was the same in those days. The coin would have Caesar's image on the back of it. So he says, show me the money. He pulls up the coin and he says, whose image is on the coin? And they're like, duh, Caesar. He said, hmm. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's. What is he saying? He's saying, if the coin's got the image of Caesar on it, give it to Caesar. But whatever's got the image of God on it, Give it to God. It's not about the money. It's about me. So, learning to know your creator, that you're in, in his image and becoming like him. Then verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter. See, when you dress in this uniform, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your shape. It doesn't matter your size. Doesn't matter what things used to be like. Doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or a Gentile. Doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Praise Jesus. Doesn't matter whether you're barbaric or uncivilized. Whether you watch reality television or don't. Whether you're slave or free. It doesn't matter. See, sometimes what we, the problem is we get, well, but, but I, I, I can't dress like that because that's not me or I'm not good enough or I don't have the, oh, I'm not, I'm not educated. I'm this, my family, where I came from, what I've been through, what I did. What does he say? No, 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 no. That's got nothing to do with this dressing up. Why? Because Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. It's not about you. So, dressing up. How many people dress up? Ever. 
<laughs> Why do we dress up? To look good. Hmm? So, change your, your identity. Yeah. To be noticed. It's fun. Why is it fun? Why is it fun to dress up? And I'm I'm not talking about dressing in a costume. I'm talking dressing up, you know, a bit more formal. Why is it fun? Makes you feel good. It's different to what you normally do. Maybe you're dressing up because of where you're going, because of who's going to be there. Dress to impress. Dressing up. You know, years ago, I spent some time working in, in Tasmania, and uh, I was working in radio, and uh, a friend of mine was working at a commercial station in Hobart, and so he said, oh, do you want to visit sometime? And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So this one day I went with him. It was about 10.30 in the morning, and we went to, um, went to visit the station. And we're walking past the on-air studio, and there's the radio announcer sitting behind the desk, and he's got a suit and tie on. And I said, oh, is, is, he, you know, is he going to a funeral or something after he finishes his shift? And the guy said, oh, no, he always dresses like that. Does he know it's radio, not television? <laughs> so I, I was really interested. So he came out, and so I got introduced to him, and he sa- I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, yeah. He said, why do you dress in a suit and tie when you're on radio? He said, oh, it's easy, because I know how I dress. It's going to affect how I sound. Oh, really? He said, yeah. I'm, there's, a, there's a sense where I know if I dress in that way, it's actually going to help me in the way that I present. You know what it's like to dress up, feel a bit special. That's what Christ is inviting us to do, to dress up, to clothe ourselves in him, to be clothed in love. And that's not just going to affect us, it's going to affect our relationship with one another. Since God chose you, goes on verse 12, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves just get dressed, people. Don't wait for, oh my God, no, no, come on. It's time to get dressed. It's time to get ready. It's time to dress up. It's time to take responsibility for what we should be taking responsibility for. Put it on. Then what does he say? Since God chose you to be the holy people who loves you, must clothe yourselves. What with? With tender-hearted mercy. Oh, I don't feel, no, 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 it's not about feeling it. Choose to be soft-hearted toward one another. Choose to be kind to one another. Oh, but I don't feel it. No, 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 just put it on. Come on, just dress up. Just lay it out there. Put on humility. Not, humility, it's not like, oh, I'm a worm. No, no, that's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Thinking of others more than you think of yourself. Just put that on. Just do it. But I don't feel Don't worry about feeling it. Just dress in it. I'm going to I'm going to dress I'm going to choose to think of other people more than I think about me. Wow. With gentleness, with patience. Dress and then he goes on. Make allowance for each other's faults. <laughs> really? Oh my gosh. What's the motivation? Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember. Remember. 
how easy it is to forget. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. If I could say that in my pastoral experience, the, one of the key issues that really destroys people's lives is an unwillingness to forgive. And one of the aspects that I think leads to a, an unwillingness to forgive is a failure to appreciate how much forgiveness I've received. Now, I've got to be honest, I think the longer I'm a follower of Christ, the more vigilant I need to be around that attitude. It's easy to forget how much I've been forgiven. And Jesus said it this way, you know, freely you've received, freely give. It's so important. Forgiveness works like that. Jesus himself said it, not my words, his words. If, if, I, if I refuse to forgive, then I won't be forgiven. That's a scary place. The other aspect of forgiveness that we don't appreciate is that when we fail to forgive, we think somehow it's affecting the person who's upset us, and in fact, it makes us the victim. So people have said it this way, forgiveness, choosing to forgive, or failing to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Choosing to forgive is like setting a prisoner free and then realizing that the prisoner was you. Now, I am not, please hear me in this, I am not minimizing because I know enough from my own life and the lives of those that I've shared the journey with that some have gone through incredibly deep, painful, and destructive processes at the hands of other people. So I'm not minimizing that. But I am imploring you that if that is your experience please dig deep into God to find a space where you can start to journey toward forgiveness. And forgiveness, in my understanding, is not just, it's not an event, it's a process. It's not a one-off thing. It's a constant state that we need to be vigilant about. And if you've got issues with other people in this room, for the sake of Aladala. And what God wants to do in this region, please, sort it out. Forgive. Matthew 5, Matthew 18, you can read it in your own time. Both places, Jesus talks about forgiveness and offenses. Do you know what? It's the same remedy. Whether you are offended by somebody else or whether you think you might have offended someone, the remedy is exactly the same. Make the first move. Oh, well, if they're offended with me, they can just come and tell me. No, 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 no. If you think you might have, then love says, hey, are we all right? I just wonder whether maybe what I said upset you. And I really want to sort it out. Or if you've been hurt by someone, well, no, 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 I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. Make the first move. And don't use loaded language. Oh, you made me feel. No, they didn't. Nobody makes you feel anything. You choose how you feel. They make you feel, then it's like you said, oh, here's my emotional, here's my emotional um, remote control. Push my buttons. Use other language. Hey, when you said so-and-so, I had a problem with I had a problem with that. I felt this, da-da-da-da-da, and I'd really like to sort it out. 
don't hold unforgiveness. It cripples. It destroys. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. If we could have the musicians up. Put it on. Can I just finish with perhaps a recap of that scripture? This is from the message paraphrase with a few little extras just added in to explain. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the new season's tender love wardrobe God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, and regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let's pray. Actually, just before we pray, I just felt just before I got up here just to to help land this in a personal way with just taking you back to the beginning of the Bible. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? They became aware that they were naked. They heard God walking in the garden, so they hid themselves. And God called out and said, Adam, where are you? Now, when God asks a question like that, he's not looking for information. When you know everything, it's irrelevant. So when God says, Adam, where are you? Who's the question for? It's for Adam. Some Hebrew scholars look at it this way as one of the saddest verses in the Bible because up until that time, Adam and God had always been in close proximity, close fellowship. So when God would actually say, where are you, that indicates that now it's possible for God to be in one place and for Adam to be somewhere else. And what does Adam say? I heard you walking in the garden and I was naked and I was afraid, so I hid. And God says, who told you you were naked? And all of a sudden, all the unraveling of what's happened comes to bear. Do you know, we still do the same thing today. We feel like we've done wrong, and so we hide. We hide from the one who knows all and sees all. And we play games trying to kid ourselves that we're invisible. I just believe God says to us today, maybe saying to you today, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Oh, I'm hiding because I just feel so naked. I'm so ashamed. See, when God asks that question, He's not trying to expose you. He's wanting to clothe you. His whole purpose is to remove shame. Shame off you. And to clothe you so you're free from shame.
I don't know you. I don't know what your journey has been, but I'm saying this in obedience because I just felt prompted to finish with it. This morning, I believe there's people in this room. God is saying to you, where are you? But he's not calling it. He's not calling you out to embarrass you. He's saying, where are you? Come on. Will you stop hiding? You're trying to hide your shame yourself. Let me clothe you. Let me take that shame off you so that you can be who God's always intended you to be and has always seen you as despite your brokenness, despite your pain. Where are you? One of the songs in the new album that's coming out, a song that Keenan wrote, and simply called Let You In. And the refrain that keeps coming over and over again is this, this line, I want to let you in. I want to let you in. My prayer is that today, if this is an area you battle in, that you can choose to make that your prayer. God, I'm freaking out. I'm scared. I'm ashamed. But I want to let you in. I want to let you in. And here's the amazing way God will work. In the process of healing and restoring you, He's actually going to put you in closer touch with even some people in this room because they can help you. Because this is the body of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you that, God, in your power and your passion, you call us out never to expose us, but always to heal. Father, I pray for people in this room where their journey of life up till now has been marked by an ongoing dread or a relentless shame or a powerful fear. God, I pray for people in this room who have even lived their life with you running and hiding and moving and trying to keep busy so that they don't have to look at or face those things that challenge. Father, I pray may today be the beginning of a whole new wardrobe. Father, I declare shame off everyone in this room. Father, I know that there are emotions that run deep, but God, in the face of those emotions, I do the only thing that I know to do, and that's to declare the truth that through the cross, you took upon yourself, Jesus, all our shame all our shame. You took it upon yourself. Therefore, it is shame off you because shame was on, shame off us because shame was on you. And Father, I pray that even today that will become a revelation, not just a knowledge, but a revelation to people in this room. And that Father, we'd see that it's possible to strip off the old wardrobe and to put on the new, to put on that in our understanding of you and to put on and dress up in the way that we love and relate to one another, that we can be tender-hearted, that we can put on kindness, that we can put on humility, and most of all, that we can put on love. Because God, we realize it's not just about us, it's about we. 
It's about the sake of what you want to do in this region because people will know that we are your disciples, most of all because of the way that we love each other. So, Father, help us to dress, to take off the old, to put on the new, to do it every day, just like we do in the natural, to get dressed every day, to be intentional about it, and not to worry firstly about how we're feeling, but to take hold of the truth of how we are now clothed through Christ. God, I pray, let this continue to be a family that is a restoration zone, a hospital, a place of healing, a place of finding wholeness again. Not because we've all arrived, but because we are on a journey where we understand your power to restore and that you do it through our relationships with one another by your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Just before I hand back, just while everyone's got their eyes closed, if you're here this morning and if you were honest, you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower or maybe one time in the past you were, but for some reason it's kind of like you and Jesus have drifted apart. Again, I want to say to you, there's no shame. The other thing I want to say to you is, wow, awesome, you're here. And because I know this church and I know its heart, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower or you're distant from him, you're actually one of the, one of the important reasons why we gather together. You are more than welcome in this place. And so one of the things we do when we gather is we just like to give an opportunity for people to connect in relationship with Jesus. Say, so how do you do that? Just with a decision, basically. A decision that says, Jesus, I might not know everything about you, but I want to start a relationship with you. I want to start walking with you. And the way we do it just for simplicity's sake is if you're here this morning and you'd say to me, yeah, Mark, that's me. That's where I'm at then I'd love to include you in the prayer I'm going to finish with. All I'm going to ask you to do is just, wherever you are, slip up your hand, give me a little wave, I'll acknowledge it, you can put it down, then we're going to pray. Don't need to worry about what anyone else thinks. In fact, most people in this room, they love it when that happens. So before I pray, can I just ask, I'm looking around, if you're saying, yeah, Mark, please include me in that prayer. I'd love to pray for you, but I just want to know who I am praying for. If you're saying, yeah, that's Mark. Mark, that's me. Just give me a little wave now. I'll acknowledge your hand. Then you can put it down. Then I'm going to pray. We just make this regularly as a, an opportunity because never, we never know where people are at. Okay, so just looking around. Church, can you look at me? Can I just pray for you now? And what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for you, thinking about the people you know who are close to you, but as far as you understand, are far from Jesus. So I just want you to think of one person in your world, someone who's close to you, but as far as you're aware at the moment, is far from Jesus. Got a name? 
Okay. Now I want you to, to be thinking of them while I pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your goodness. We thank you for what your word says, that God, people in this part of the world are going to know that we love you because of the way that we love one another. God, we are also before you today saying that there are people in our world that we love who right now seem so far from you. And right now, this morning, we lift their name before you. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to have relationship with them. Some of them, they're our family members. Others, they're our kids. Others, they're our, our workmates or friends. But, but God, thank you that you've caused our worlds to cross, our paths to cross, and that we know these people. Father, we pray right now, by your Holy Spirit, move upon their lives that they would get a revelation understanding of who you are. Father, that there would be a supernatural thing that begins to reveal to them who you truly are. And Father, we're putting our hands up out of our relationship, that God, to be available, to have a conversation, to make a phone call, to visit and have coffee, to send a text or an email, whatever, whatever it is that God, out of that opportunity, there might come the chance to actually talk about who you are by our experience. And Father, may it be that when we have that conversation, it's almost like where you've gone ahead and, and, and they're going, oh, yeah, 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 I know. And things that we've never been able to talk about before, it's like they've understood now because God, by your Spirit, you're revealing, you're uncovering, you're causing those things that seemed weird or mysterious all of a sudden to begin to gel in their mind and it's beginning to change their heart. Father, give us courage to, to go there to have the conversation and give us the joy of being able to stand together with those very people as brothers and sisters in Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, church. Sorry, I've gone over time. I know, but thank you for your time today. Thank you, Mark. You can go over time anytime. That was amazing. Hey, let's stand. Um, so encouraging. And we're going to sing. And may God just continue to speak about those things that Mark was talking about. Even as we sing.